All right, this morning, if you uh, have a bulletin, on the back of the bulletin is the listed of uh, the verses that I'll be using this morning as we consider the tremendous and incredible subject of the resurrection. Our main text is going to be from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 through verse 57. And uh, so take your Bibles and turn there, or you can also look at the back of the bulletin as I look at those passages. But before I look at scriptures this morning, let's bow together in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love and kindness to us this morning. We gather here today because, as we do every Sunday, to worship you because of your death on behalf of sinners, and because, Lord, of your resurrection. And Lord, if it was not for the resurrection, we would have no hope. But because of the resurrection, you finished everything the Father gave you to do in respect to our eternal salvation. So Lord, this we are thankful for, and we praise you for. Now as we look at it in the Word of God, impress it upon our heart, Lord, So, Lord, our hope wouldn't fade, but our hope would get stronger. And, Lord, we would live each day to the glory of your name, knowing what you have done and what you're going to do. And I pray as we do that, our hearts would be filled with thankfulness and uh, praise to your great name. And I pray this this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I just... uh, I want to just mention, first of all, that the heart of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the raising of Christ from the dead is the pivot upon which all the evidence of Christianity turns. By his resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth is proven to be all he claimed to be. He has accomplished all he undertook, and that his work was complete, and that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. So Christ's sacrifice on the cross met all the claims of God's justice. Without his death, our salvation would be impossible, as mentioned in the epistle to the Romans, which is the first passage in the bulletin that says, for The demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, but if Christ had not risen from the dead, his death upon the cross, rather than being a ground for our eternal salvation, would actually have been an occasion for our despair. If death had been able to keep him, sin would not have been conquered. Therefore, the resurrection is the very basis of the church. Everything hinges upon it. Without it, all else would be vain, empty, meaningless. That Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. God has been demonstrating to humanity the conceivability 
of the resurrection in both a general way and also a very special way. First of all, God has given a general message to all humanity. We even find in the Old Testament book of Psalms, where it says there in Psalms 19, verse 1 through 4, that God is really constantly preaching to humanity. He does so every day. And as the Old Testament tells us, it says this, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanses declaring the works of his hand. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are their words, their voices not heard. Their timeline has gone out through all the earth and their utterance to the end of the world. In other words, God is speaking through creation and saying to everyone, I'm here. I'm here. Every day you walk outside, God is saying, I'm here. See, that's a reminder. So we who live here in the Northeast have the privilege of experiencing all four seasons. When I was in California, uh, it came fall, and I looked at the curve, and there was like two leaves there. And I said to somebody who lived there, is this fall? And they said, yeah, that's about it. You know, two, a week later, you, you know, you're out of fall. You know, here I said, we have mounds of leaves. But if you just think about the season, summer, it speaks to us about God's bounty. God lavishes the riches of his goodness upon humanity every single day. He supplies from the earth a great abundance of food for mankind. He supplies to our ears singing birds, people having fun with laughter, the rustling of the leaves of a mighty oak as a gentle summer breeze blows through it, the ocean waves beating against the shore. He also supplies abundantly for our eyes so we're able to see beautiful landscapes and sparkling water on a lake and uh, different creatures with their many colors and peculiar mannerisms. The foliage, which uh, with its many different shapes and kinds and colors, all these and more is screaming to us that God is creative and he's given us a bounty in this earth. Also, then we come into autumn. Autumn reminds us that we live in a world in which things fade and die. Leaves shrivel and fall. The green turns brown. Things rust and fall apart. Things decay and die because we live in a fallen, dying world. Scripture often reminds us, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like filthy garment. And all of us, like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Every day we are reminded that, has, that God has given and that God has the prerogative to take away and to remove his common grace at any time. In fact, Daniel chapter 4 in your bulletin, it says, All the inhabitants of the earth are, accountable as, are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in all the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can ward off his hand and say to him, what have you done? 
that God's in charge of everything. And then that leads into winter. And winter gives us a sobering message. When winter comes upon you with its cold temperatures and its many snowfalls, even in our modern lives, with all the advancement and the equipment that we have, it brings our society to a screeching halt. When there are whiteout conditions and the snow melts and the water rises to a flood stage, we can, who can hold back the power that is unleashed in just nature? As it says in the Word of God in Psalm 147, He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts forth His ice as fragments. Who can stand before His cold? No one can. But have you considered that maybe God's mightiest sermon, what these should impress upon us is the terror of God's vengeance? Because God in a moment, can remove that which is pleasant in the earth and exchange it with storms and calamities. It is God himself that will come to judge the world in righteousness. He is a God of wrath, but as the scriptures teach us, he is also a God of love and hope. And as Isaiah 45, 7 tells us, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. And then Job tells us, for calamity from God is a terror to me, and because of his majesty, I can do nothing. And then we are led into spring. Now spring is the time of year that makes us feel that we're alive and that there is a hope. Springtime is when God speaks to us about the great doctrine of resurrection. The picture of life is all around us. Budding trees, flowers ready to burst forth with blossoms. The seeds and bulbs in the ground are ready to burst through the soil and break through the surface that show us, shows us it's, that there's life still and we're reminded again of the resurrection. So may we hear the message that God is speaking to us every single day, every single season, that, listen, we will be buried in the earth like a seed and die, but we will rise again. See, that is something we must never forget because God's message of resurrection is peculiar to Christianity and is found in a very special place called the Bible. And that's where God has given us, secondly, a message, a special message to all humanity. And so I am under no illusion to think that everyone will come to believe in this truth, even though the possibility of it being conceivable is all around us. It is a doctrine specifically taught in the Scripture. It is the special message of God given to his children to give them hope of what will be and what has been. It was the Apostle Paul who asked this question to a pagan audience. He says, why is it considered incredible among you people 
if God does raise the dead? That's the question. That becomes the complicated question, not only with the apostles in the New Testament, but with the pagans when they heard that this man, Jesus, rose from the grave. Some mocked, some scoffed, some walked away and said, I need to hear more of this, but other people did believe it. And they believed it because there was proof to believe it. See, the resurrection from the dead is indeed a thing which we may well seem to be incredible to any sort of thinking person for a number of reasons. The first reason would be that there are no experiences of any living persons of seeing such a thing, at least in our day. See, we know that there are resuscitations, but anybody who was resuscitated, even in the scriptures, would die again. Well, but for the person that has been in the grave for days, even Lazarus, even though he was in the grave for days and was resurrected, still would die. If a body is in the grave for days and weeks and months and years and centuries, to burst the bands of death, to disturb the soil and rise again from the coffin, this is something no present human being can attest to. In fact, the universal experience of the race is that it just doesn't happen. And if it did, it would be thought of a thing incredible indeed. It did happen. It did happen in Christ when he rose from the grave. But remember when Jesus was dying and the tombs were broken open and other saints rose up, they were to die again too. So the body that Jesus rose again with was a particular type of resurrection body. And that is the kind of body we are going to have someday. A second reason why it would be incredible is to consider for a moment the state of those who are dead. Some people suppose that those we lay in fancy coffins are to be taken up like those well-preserved mummies of Egypt, but not so. The chronology of decay goes something like this. The thing that goes first is the brain, and soon after is a large cavity, the large cavity between the ears. The heart soon follows, and these two vital organs of man and then the rest of the body trails along not far behind. The bones are the last to disintegrate. And so the Bible tells us that man returns to the dust. In fact, Scripture attests to that. We find in Ecclesiastes, all go to the same place. All came from the dust, all will return to the dust. And again, it says in Ecclesiastes, then dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So the word of God does attest to us that someday there would be something that we would experience beyond this life in bodies. A last thing that considers the resurrection incredible would be to be pondered that many people have been dissolved in lime pits and burned in great fires or buried in the depth of the sea 
and some have been destroyed and eaten by great creatures, and we know some are obliterated by explosives today, suicide bombers, uh, Navy SEALs, and uh, special warfare operators often give testimony to their friends who step on a landmine or something close exposed to them that all that they see is pink mist and there's nothing left of the body because of the force of the blast. See, um, why you'll find the particles of people under every tree, in every crevice, in every corner of the world. Shall these particles live again? Is that not indeed an incredible thing to think about that? Yes, that is the great teaching of God's word, the Bible. It is found right in chapter 15 in the first Corinthians that God will raise the dead. And if you notice in verse 51 and 52 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now, the scripture proclaims that. The resurrection is an incredible thing. And there's no analogy for such a resurrection as we speak when we talk about it from the Bible. There are those who claim there are analogies, but they all break down at closer inspection. We have heard of the caterpillar. One day it turns in upon itself to weave its own cocoon and build its own coffin. And then in time we see the crystallis break open and a beautiful butterfly soars into the air. We are told that this is a picture of resurrection. It is a beautiful picture, no doubt, but it is far from the picture of resurrection. Take that cocoon containing the caterpillar and that hopeful butterfly and grind it into powder. Mix the powder with clay and place it in a river until it spreads all over the world and then call forth that solution to the glory of a butterfly. Now that would be closer to a picture of resurrection, but it still doesn't come to the place where the Bible speaks of. So there will be questions, no doubt, and there will be answers when resurrection comes up. And I want you to notice in our text in chapter 15, verse 35, it says this, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? See, we should not remain foolish concerning the resurrection because it does touch all humanity. In fact, one of the first things we see here, it says this in verse number 36. It says, oh, you fool. In other words, the message is right in your garden. You can't miss it. And this is what he says in verse 36. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And it's the picture of putting a seed in the ground and covering it with dirt. So the seed 
must cease to exist in its original form as a seed before it can come to life in its final form, a plant. See, the identity is preserved, but the difference will be extraordinary. In verse 37, it says, And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. See, the seed dies with the exception of a particle almost too small to to perceive, which is the real life contained in the wheat. There's a great difference between the original and the final form. The seed looks nothing like the natural plant. The seed changes radically but continues in the same state. See, according to the word of God, so shall it be in the resurrection of the dead. The body is here as a shriveled seed. It is put into the grave. It rots and decays But God preserves within it a sort of life germ which is immortal, which will live again. Notice verse 52 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, in the moment again, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead will be raised imperishable and they will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. In other words, it is God that causes the change. Verse number 38. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. So everything, whether it's heavenly, whether it is in the ground, God has given a body. And you never have to ask how, for an all-knowing, all-powerful God will make the seeming impossible possible and bring it to pass. So, of course, look out how God will change the earthly body to a spiritual body, and that's what he picks up in verse number 42. He gives several contrasts for us to gain some understanding, and the first contrast pertains to durability. And notice what it says in verse number 42. So the perishable, remember, must put on the imperishable, So also in verse number 42 is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. In other words, in the bodies that we have now, every nerve, every blood vessel tells us we must die. It is subject to eventual death. We are full of sufferings. We are full of aches and pains, which remind us that we can only remain here for a limited period of time. Psalm tells us in verse number, chapter 39, verse 4, it says, we are just transient in this world. And Job says, man is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. But in verse number 42, it's the resurrected body is durable. It is subject to neither disease nor decay nor death. It says there it is raised in an 
imperishable body. And the Bible is stressing that, listen, we, our bodies are going to go to the grave, but we're going to be raised with a new body. There's going to be a resurrection with a new kind of body, a body that is not a body that's going to uh, perish anymore. It's a go- going to be a body that's going to be imperishable. It'll never die or decay again. A second contrast given in our text in verse 43 is a contrast that has to do with value and potential. Notice what it says. It's sown in dishonor. The body is sown in dishonor. And brethren, you know as well as I know that time and gravity and the effects of sin is not kind to the human body. It is not. And there's nothing, there's not much we can do to stop it. I mean, the health product injury, uh, industry today pulls in billions and billions of dollars so we can stay younger, right? But even then, you're going to die. The body's going to go to the grave. Matter of fact, it's going to go to the grave in somewhat an embarrassing condition. It did, the way it started out ends up in totally a different place. And it's not a place we, all, we look forward to. It's, it's not. So, in other words, this world, our bodies are crying that we are going to die someday. We are going to perish someday. However, the resurrection new body has the potential to have a dignity and a brilliance about it unlike the natural state that we're used to. It says in verse 43, we're going to be raised in glory. That's the way we're going to be raised, with a brilliance, with an excellence about the body. See, that's our hope. That's the hope God gives us. And then there's a third contrast in verse 43, and it has to do with ability. We are sown in weakness. In fact, we're so fragile as human beings, each of us should have a sign on us that says, handle with care. We, we are really weak and vulnerable. Now, we think when we're young, we're invincible. We think that we're not going to die, that death is far from us, and all those things, all of us think like that. In fact, in my reading of uh, my Navy SEAL books and special warfare books, I ran across a uh, a story about a man named Howard Wasden. He was from SEAL Team 6. He was shot up quite severely in Operation Gothic Serpent in Mogadishu, Somalia, which was popularized by Black Hawk Down, the movie. He received the Silver Star for gallantry in action against the enemy, the Purple Heart for injuries he sustained in combat. He came home and had a long recuperation from his injuries. But he realized very quickly that he was to heal from more than physical injuries. He was to heal emotionally, and he was also to heal spiritually. In the process of his healing, Howard sought out his pastor and asked him for spiritual guidance. Howard said to Ron, his pastor, I know it sounds stupid to say this, but I guess what I realized through all I've been through and through all the combat I've been through that I could die. 
I said, it's ridiculous. But I really believed I was superhuman at one time. Not anymore. I see how fragile and how short life can be. Howard Wasden went on to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, repented of his sin, and has put his full finish, uh, his full trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. So, see, even in those circumstances, uh, a man like who is in special operations thinks he's invincible. But, you know, when the bullets start flying and they start ripping through the flesh, and then you realize how weak and how long it takes to recuperate, you begin to realize, wait a minute, I'm not looking at this right. But it's only when you look at things from God's perspective do you get the right view of life. Do you get the sense that, yes, we are weak and we will die. Think of it, a person must be carried by his family and friends to his own gravesite. He can't even lay himself down in, in his last resting place. He needs someone to help him. We need someone to help us when we get to that place. But this powerless body, it says in verse 43, will be raised in power. Believers will have superhuman bodies. It will get up and it will never fall again. There's a four contrast that he gives in Scripture, and that's the contrast of sphere in verse 44. Look what it says. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there will also, there will, it says there is also a spiritual body. So he's saying, this, you, do you have a natural body here? Do, if you pinch yourself, do you feel the pinch? If someone punches you, do you feel the punch? Well, if you feel that, know this, there will be a spiritual body. Now, there will be a spiritual body for those who believe in Jesus Christ, and there will be a spiritual body for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Everyone will be raised. Now, of course, the body that is given to a believer is going to be quite different than a body that is given to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ because someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ is going to be separated away from Christ and God and goodness forever in a place called hell. So they will feel pain and they will feel all the things that go with living a sinful life and not believing and they will never die in that condition. Death will be no relief to them. See, this body is only suited for this natural world. Someday, we will have a spiritual body perfectly suited for the heavenly realm. And when the believer dies, their spirit will dwell in heaven for a little while without a body. But afterwards, they will enter into a house made, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And you and I will be fit for the kingdom of God. You and I will be able to enter the kingdom of God. You and I will be able to sit and see the glory of God with new bodies. We will be able to enjoy that time. So, see, the question that comes up in the text is, what's the problem in the first place that caused people to die that we need a resurrection? Why why do we even need it? 
Well, to understand the problem, look at verse 55 and 56. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And then in verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. See, to understand the resurrection, there are two ingredients we need to understand that in our American society, our, our American society is somewhat difficult to imagine. The first of which is sin. You may ask, why all the violence? Because after all, aren't we really basically good people? Or isn't it true that there is no such thing as a bad boy or a bad girl? Or for that matter, a bad person? See, we know there are bad people. But the thing is that there's, there's worse people than us. And so we think ourselves relatively good compared to someone who's worse than us. See, the media gives us the very idea because, uh, listen, we deserve to look at ourselves like this, to have a healthy self-image. But according to Scripture, what we really deserve is, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We, we, we deserve not only a physical death, but we deserve an eternal death. We deserve the wrath of God for our sin. The scriptures make it plain that all of us are sinners. Nothing could be stated more clearly in the Bible. Now look at your bulletin, and there are several verses there. Notice in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. And then Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on the earth who continually does good and who never sins. The Bible says that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, the Bible says, I, the Lord, search the heart. And test the mind. So if you want to be honest and look at the matter clearly, people are on death row as soon as they're born. They're condemned already, for it says in Romans 6.23, He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe have been, has been judged already. And why is that? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, People are condemned to die, and the wages of that sin is death. And we know it is both physical death, spiritual death, and then finally, when they die, eternal death. So the problem is sin. And the scriptures make it very plain that if you offend in one point, that you're guilty of it all. It says in... uh, James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all the law. You don't have to break all the commandments. And it's amazing uh, how many people think that their good works are going to outweigh their bad works and that that's how God looks at things. See, the attitude of many people is that they are quite good and they are certainly sufficiently good enough or better than some people who they know 
But, see, no person is good enough. And that's the problem. How good is good enough? Who measures that? Well, it's not about that at all. The whole world is a fallen race of rebels and stands condemned in the sight of God. Yes, God expects perfection for anyone to make it into heaven, but not our own perfection, not our own righteousness, but a righteousness that comes from someone else, a righteousness that comes from somebody who is truly righteous and the only one who lived a sinless, righteous life was Jesus Christ. See, the law, it says there in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56, the sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. See, the law is the very thing that condemns us in our sin. Someone must satisfy God's justice. Someone must step to the plate. So see, the second ingredient that is needed to understand the need for the resurrection is God's justice. The Bible teaches us that God is absolutely just and holy. He is of purer eyes than even to look upon iniquity and sin. And thus, no sin could ever enter into his heaven. No sin could ever enter into the kingdom of God. And the reason for that is because God is just and he is holy and he is pure and he must punish every and all sin. His very nature doesn't allow him to pass over his own justice. So did you ever hear anybody brought into a court and charged with murder? And then the witness gets up and says, well, yes, uh, Your Honor, but you didn't understand that I was a Boy Scout. I was on the honor roll in school. I helped a number of old ladies cross the street. I have a a merit badge to prove it. I did this and I did that, and I did another thing. See, the judge is bound to uphold justice. Rather, the the judge must say to someone, like that, you are here, sir, to answer the charge of murder and nothing else. See, we would like for God to lower the bar. We would like for God to go easy on us, but he cannot. He cannot violate his own being, his own holiness, his own justice. God declares the soul who sins will die, and a person who has broken his holy law is therefore guilty and condemned. So we sin every day. We sin in thought, we sin in word, we sin in deed. We also sin deliberately and intentionally, but sometimes we sin unintentionally and we're still guilty of those things. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find out there was a sacrifice for unintentional sin. So in other words, we can't get away from this whole thought that we're sinners and under God's condemnation. So, see, we needed something. We need someone to step in in our place. We are told in the word of God that all shall rise from the dead. It is recorded in Scripture that Christ said in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice. And shall come forth those who, ha- 
who did good deeds to the resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to the resurrection of judgment. Of course, those have to do with believing in the Lamb of God or not believing in the Lamb of God. So see, the solution to God's justice, the solution to the sin problem is found in verse 57. But look in verse number 54 again. It says, but when this perishable will have put on imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then verse 57, the last verse there, it says in Corinthians or before verse 58, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is the one who gives us the victory. Now, if Christ is preached that he had been raised from the dead, how do some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. But according to our passage, the Bible says Christ has been raised, verse number 20, from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. In other words, because he rose, everyone else will rise. One group will rise to a resurrection of life. One will be raised to a resurrection of judgment because God's justice must be satisfied in that judgment, in both the judgment of the saved and the judgment of the unsaved. Because the judgment of the saved is going to be not on whether they sin because the sin is taken care of in Christ, but how have they lived their life after they became a believer. And then for those who have the judgment of God only are those who did not believe, did not receive, did not trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Therefore, they will be raised to judgment with a body that cannot die. So my friend, Will you be with him forever? Do you have in your heart that blessed assurance that you are on your way to heaven? Do you know that your sins have been washed away and forgiven? If you do not, then there is a reason for that. And the reason is this, because you are still trusting in yourself. You're trusting in something that you have done, in some goodness or some merit of your own, that there is some morality or goodness in you that will earn you a passage to heaven. But that's not how anyone becomes a Christian. That's not how anyone who enters the kingdom of God, they cannot get there on their own. We are helpless to save ourselves. My friends, simply agree with God that you are a sinner guilty as charged and cast yourself on his mercy and his grace. Say to him, Lord, it was for me you died. I place my trust in your cross. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. See, all who trust in Jesus Christ alone for 
eternal salvation, repent of, who repent of their sin and follow him are given the free gift of eternal life, paid for with the infinite price by the one who died and shed his blood in the place of his children, who promises that having risen from the dead, he will take you to be with him forever in paradise. See, the ground on which a person comes to Christ is that they are nothing but sinners and that they have a great need to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and be made clean and right before God. Very simply, if you come to Christ this morning, if you have not as of yet, as nothing but a sinner, God will in no wise cast you out because that is the reason why he came. That's the reason why he died. That's the reason why he rose. That's the reason why he defeated our greatest enemy, death and Satan. You don't need to prepare for it in the sense that you have to clean up your life. You don't need to look at your works. You have no good works. There's none righteous, no, not one. And you know what? You don't even have to consider your feelings because feelings are so untrustworthy that you cannot say, well, I feel this or I feel that because, you know, you're, one minute you feel this way, one minute you feel that way. See, believe because Christ tells us to do so. It's fact, in fact, it's a command. What you are commanded to do, you may do. Sinners need someone to have mercy on them. Sinners who are helpless and are in a pitiful state need someone to have compassion on them. That person is Jesus Christ. The gate of mercy stands open wide. There's no reason not to come if you haven't. Give up all your excuses and throw them to the wind and come running to the cross of Jesus Christ. Come to the one whose sacrifice on the cross met all the claims of God's justice. Come to the one whose death and resurrection gives victory over the sting of death. Come to the one whose resurrection from the dead guarantees our resurrection unto life. Come to the one whose death and resurrection gives us entrance into the kingdom of God into which we should be and be with him forever. So do you know where you're going after you die? Do you have or do you have serious doubts about where you'll spend eternity? If you have any doubts at all, why don't you come to Christ? All the Father gives me, the Bible says, comes to me. And the one who comes to me I will in no means cast out. But if you are sure that you're heading for the resurrection of the righteous, then you must remember this. You must remember that there is a judgment seat of Christ. You must live that you will reap a harvest of eternal gain and not loss. You must immerse yourself 
in God's word to know what he values most. You must even now be concerned about imitating Christ in your attitudes and your actions towards one another. Because the Lord is very concerned about those things. So may God help us. May God help us to know where we are going when we die and be certain about it. And then if we know that, to be faithful to him until he takes us or he arrives. See, the resurrection is the central and crowning point of all teaching that if Christ did not rise, we're hopeless. We might as well go party and have a good time. But he did rise. So don't go party. Have a good time, but have a good time in Christ. And believe me, you will have a good time in Christ. He gives us a joy that no man could give. And he gives us a joy that no one could take it away. He gives us a peace that no one could give. He gives us a peace that no one could take away. We give it away, but no one could take it away. So this morning, I pray that you would have no doubts about where you're heading. And if you do know, praise God for this day that we celebrate the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because believe me, someday we're going to be raised. And that is going to be a day no one could even describe or imagine. But it is our hope. We don't sorrow like the rest of the world because we have a hope. We will rise again. And we will be with Christ forever. And that's what God says. And I trust what God says. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for all the work, Lord, that has been done in the singing. Thank you, Lord, even for the work that was done in preparing the sanctuary. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work that the Spirit of God does in preparing our hearts to be receptive to the Word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you accomplished on the cross and how you defeated our greatest enemy, death, and rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven, and you are praying for us. And you are awaiting the day that you're going to come back and split for your church first, and then you're going to come back in your second coming. I pray, Lord, that until that time, those who know you will be faithful in all they do. And those who don't know you, I pray, Lord, they would never forget the message that was given today. And I pray, Lord, they would come and they would confess you as their Lord and Savior. They would come and want to confess their sin, repent of it, and believe in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant it to them. Because, Lord, you granted it to every one of us who came in our helpless, sinful condition And when we came to you, you had compassion on us and mercy on us, and you forgave us, and you made us, took our sin and nailed it to the cross and took your righteousness and put it on our account. So thank you, Lord, that you've done all that. So we definitely have something to praise you about. And I pray this all this morning in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand again.